Father in heaven, we come before you this morning eager to hear from your word. Father, we believe it when you say that your word never goes out in vain, but it does exactly what you purpose it to do. So would you do your work in us this morning and make our hearts receptive to your word, that we may walk in a manner worthy of your name until you come again in glory. Speak, O Lord, for your church is listening. Amen. What makes an effective evangelist? What do you think makes someone an effective witness of the gospel? What characteristics come to your mind? I just want you to take a moment to think about that. One author named C.S. Lovett, not to be confused with C.S. Lewis, in his book, Soul Winning Made Easy, gives his own helpful tips to eager Christians looking to become more effective in winning souls for Jesus. He writes this, get your prospect alone. Lay your hand firmly on the subject's shoulder or arm, and with a semi-commanding tone of voice, say to him, bow your head with me. Note, do not look at him when you say this, but bow your head first. And out of the corner of your eye, you will see him hesitate at first. Then, as his resistance crumbles, his head will come down. Your hand on his shoulder will feel the relaxation and you will know when his heart yields. Bowing your head first causes terrific psychological pressure. Yikes. Now, now, I really hope that these tips did not come to your mind when you picture an effective evangelist for, for a number of reasons. Yet I fear that many in the evangelical world have been brought up to think of evangelism in this way. All right, a combination of, of smooth talk and psychological pressures in order to produce a decision for Jesus. Or maybe kind of in a less creepy way, you, you've equated the gift of evangelism with those with outgoing personalities, like someone who's good in sales. Or maybe you equate it with intellectuals who have years of apologetic training. Either way, these false notions of the gift of evangelism often leads us, I think, to rationalize our negligence of this vital spiritual discipline. Now, my goal this morning is, is not to heap a bunch of guilt uh, upon you for, for not sharing the, the gospel enough. Uh, that is both unhelpful and honestly too easy because I think all of us would, would agree that we, sh we wish we could be better in this area. But rather, this morning, I want us to consider what God says is, fa is a faithful and effective evangelist. I want us to consider what God says faithful and effective evangelism looks like so that Castleton Community Church may walk in a manner worthy of that calling in the hopes that God would bring many to himself through our witness. 
as we turn to our passage this morning, God so graciously gives us a picture of what a faithful and effective evangelist looks like in the Apostle Paul. And again, my hope today is that the Lord would grant us the grace to become effective and faithful witnesses of the gospel or bold in faith, grounded in love, and walk in a manner worthy of God who calls us into his own glory and kingdom. So in this passage, I want us to see three characteristics of an effective witness of the gospel. Three characteristics of an effective witness of the gospel. First, effective witnesses of the gospel are bold in God. Second, effective witnesses of the gospel seek to please God. And third, effective witnesses of the gospel love like God. So first, number one, we see that effective witnesses are bold in God. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Look there again with me. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So Paul begins our passage by assuring them that his short visit to Thessalonica was certainly not in vain. And Paul knows that his visit was not in vain for all the reasons that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in chapter 1. Paul was convinced that God had chosen them because of all the evidences of grace that he sees in their lives. Paul remembered how the Thessalonians received the word of God with power, with conviction, and with a joy in the Holy Spirit even amidst affliction. And the news of their radical gospel transformation rang out to all the surrounding regions. Yet we know that it wasn't all you know, unicorns and rainbows in Thessalonica. It wasn't all good because Paul, uh, again, was, he had a forced exit. And because he was forced out um, after three weeks or so, his quick exit gave false teachers the ammunition to spread lies about his motives for visiting and most likely causing some of the members of this young church to question Paul's ministry and his message. And you can just okay, maybe imagine what these false teachers were saying as Paul up and left at the, under the cover of night. Look at that, guys. Paul just, just ran away. Obviously, he was insincere. He's a fake. He didn't really believe what he was preaching. No, he's just a con man, just like all the other teachers that come through the city. Just look. He abandoned you under the cover of night. When things got hard, he chose his own welfare over yours. The unsettling thing, I think, about these accusations is that they, they sound plausible, don't they? Even though there was not a hint of truth in them, they were just plausible enough to stir doubt in the church. Therefore, Paul here is forced to address these charges because if his credibility is questioned, then the gospel itself would also be questioned. And looking at verse 2, we, we see that Paul addresses these accusations first by appealing to their boldness in God despite much conflict. And he even appeals to the circumstances by which he came to them 
coming from Philippi. Right Before Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica, they were in the city of Philippi. And in Philippi, they were dragged into the town square, stripped of their clothes, beaten with rods, and thrown in prison, all for casting out a fortune-telling demon from a slave girl who was being used for profit. And God, thankfully, miraculously frees them from prison through, a, through an earthquake. Yet instead of shrinking back and kind of licking their wounds, Paul and Silas decided to carry on with their mission from God. And they head right towards Thessalonica, knowing full well that they most likely would meet similar resistance. Paul references these bruises and his scars as proof that they were not afraid of conflict, but rather bold. Bold not in themselves, but in God, despite the real possibility of the persecution to come. And this highlights for us what a faithful evangelist looks like. If we are to be effective and faithful evangelists, we must be bold, not in ourselves, but in God. We must be fearless to speak the truth of God's word with conviction, even in the face of conflict. Now to be clear, boldness does not mean being loud or arrogant. And it, and it does not come at the expense of love and compassion. But boldness in God means that we are so convinced of the truth of the gospel that no matter the circumstances, we will not waver to testify what God has said clearly in his word. In 1521, uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, stood before men that had the power to destroy his life. And they were calling him to recant his writings on the gospel, specifically justification by faith alone. And to them he responds this way, Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. So God help me. Amen. This is an example of boldness in God. It's having the courage to stand firm on the truths of the gospel in the face of pressure and persecution of various types. Now we most likely won't be standing before a court of clergymen or, or emperors threatening our life, but we will stand before the court of public opinion. We will stand before our neighbors, we will stand before our co-workers, our classmates, and we will stand before our family members with the blessed opportunity to be bold in God and to point them to Jesus. And boldness in these moments, church, does not require an extroverted personality. It does not require you to have all the answers to every question. But it does require you to know God, to know his promises, and to be fearless to speak the gospel, trusting that God will give you all the grace you need for each moment. Church, in our day, we need to pray for people who are bold in God and that we would be these type of people. 
We need men and women who possess a firm trust in God's grace to withstand ridicule and to walk into awkward conversations. We need men and women who know they are insufficient in themselves to win anyone to God, but boldly point people to Jesus knowing that the gospel of God has the power to save. Furthermore, I think it's important that we realize we need to be bold with the gospel, not just with uh, the culture or with our non-believing neighbors or coworkers, but we need to be bold with the gospel with those even within our own congregation. Again, I think there's something very wonderful about our church and how our church cares for one another. And I think a lot of you are willing to listen and to bear the burdens of others and to walk into hard uh, conversations. Yet there are times, as we'll see, that God requires us to speak the truth boldly, not just to listen, listen for a time, but there will come a moment where you will need to speak the truth even when it's very uncomfortable. Uh, just this last week, uh, I uh, reached out to a friend for some, for some counsel, and to be honest with you, I, I called him just wanting to be affirmed in what I uh, was thinking and what I was feeling. But instead, my friend was, was bold with the gospel and compassionately and gently, but very clearly corrected me with God's word. Church, you, you need people like this in your life and you need to be that type of person for someone else. We need to be people of this book to know what God says and to be bold when God calls us to speak for him, both of those inside and outside the church. Brothers and sisters, if we are to be effective witnesses for the gospel in the Castleton community, we must be bold in God, confident that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. So point one, effective witnesses of the gospel are bold in God. And point two, effective witnesses of the gospel seek to please God. They seek to please God. And we see that in verses three and four. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Just this week, I watched a, a documentary uh, recommended by a, uh, by a friend on Netflix called The American Gospel. And it is a devastating critique of the Word of Faith movement, also called the Prosperity Gospel in America. The, the documentary shows how televangelists like Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen and Todd White, they speak boldly, claiming to share the gospel, yet deceive their followers by twisting God's word for their own profit. They teach that God wants you to have the abundant life, and that the abundant life is seen in your health, in your wealth, in your flourishing on this earth. And they'll tell you that if you're suffering, you just got to have more faith, or it's a, la it's, a, it's a result of your lack of faith. 
And it can be changed by just sowing a seed of faith by dialing this toll-free number in order to give. And millions of people around the world buy into it, hook, line, and sinker. They are effective in gathering followers, but they do not seek to please God, but to please man. And while I think it's very easiest for us to see these ugly motives by, by these preachers, um, seeing that they're motivated by, by greed in a lot of ways, but I think it's more important for us to look at ourselves and ask if our walk with God ultimately is done to please our peers, to please our parents, or is it to please God? Are we bold with the gospel for God's glory or for our own? If we are to be effective witnesses of the gospel, we must seek to please God rather than men. So then, how do we check our hearts to make sure that we are seeking God's glory rather than our own? Well, I want us to look at kind of four ways, just real briefly, that we can know that we are seeking to please God in our evangelism from these verses. Again, we seek to please God by, playing, by paying close attention to our content, to our motive, to our method, and to our judge. And these are all sub-points under point two. So effective witnesses of the gospel seek to please God by paying close attention to our content, our motives, our methods, and our judge. So first, effective witnesses seek to please God by paying close attention to our content. Paul says in verse three that their appeal did not spring from error. They did not preach something that was that was false, that were made up. Paul is sure that he is speaking the truth because we see later in verse 4 that he was entrusted with the gospel. He was sanctioned by God to preach a specific message. And now while Paul is not one of the original disciples, uh, we know that Jesus specifically chose Paul while he was on the road to Damascus. Jesus revealed himself to Paul, spoke to him, opened his eyes to see the, his glory, and entrusted to him the good news of the gospel. Well, then what, what is the gospel? What is the message that Jesus gave to Paul? Well, the good news of the gospel says that no amount of law-keeping, no amount of good deeds can make you acceptable before a holy God. That even if you break one commandment, we are accountable for all of it and fall under the just judgment of that holy God. But God, in his love, instead of holiness to a standard we could never fulfill, God gave us his only son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill the law for us and to satisfy the wrath of God reserved for us when he went to the cross and died for us. And on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead, making eternal life available to all who put their trust in him. 
And my appeal to you this morning for whoever is, is listening, that if this, if you've been working hard to, to please God, wondering whether or not he accepts you, my plea to you th- th- this morning that, that you would place your trust in Jesus and to know that, that your good works will not earn you a place with God, but Jesus has done all that already for you. And if you place your trust in Jesus today, he will give you the assurance of eternal life with him. And friend, there is so much joy, there is so much peace in knowing Jesus and knowing that you are right with God. This good news of the gospel entrusted to the apostles has now been entrusted to us through the scriptures. The Holy Spirit inspired word of God that is perfect and without error. So when we share the gospel, we want to do everything we can to get out of the way and let the scriptures speak for themselves so that we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ. And this may seem maybe obvious to to many of us, but I really do believe that there is a temptation for us to either add to the gospel or, or to take away from it. We may be tempted to add to it by demanding more of people than God does, or you may be tempted to subtract from God's word in order to not cause offense. But whether you add or subtract from the gospel, it will only be effective for damnation rather than salvation. And the Apostle Paul warns us about this in Galatians 1, verses 6 through 8. He says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are now turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. If we are going to please God with our evangelism, if we are going to be effective at at all, we have to have the right content. We have to be clear on the gospel. And we must be bold with this right gospel or we will be found ineffective. Our next two sub-points, again, under number two, I'm going to combine are these. We seek to please God by paying close attention to our motives and our methods. Our motives and our methods. Paul defends himself, again in verse 3, by making clear that his appeal does not spring from impurity or any attempt to deceive. And we can surmise from this defense that some in Thessalonica claim that Paul's motives for coming to them were not for their own good, but rather to take advantage of them, like many of the traveling uh, teachers of that day. That through smooth talk and manipulation, Paul was looking to financially benefit or to use them for other devious motives. But Paul again here vehemently renounces the attacks, and he also does this elsewhere in the scriptures. We read in 2 Corinthians 4.3 that he has to push against these attacks as well. 2 Corinthians 4.2, but we have renounced graceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. 
but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So we see here, Paul does not use smoke and mirrors. He does not pull the old bait and switch, you know, like, like many of those, you know, those little, those little tracks, you know, with the little fake, fake dollar bills on it. You know, the, I thought it was money. Oh, no, it's, it's a tract. No, no, he doesn't do any of that, but rather he was up front with them and makes his appeal before God that his motives were indeed pure and that his methods were God-honoring. He simply proclaimed what he had received from God with the intention of encouraging them to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls them into his own kingdom and glory, as we'll see at the end of our text. I hope that encourages you, you this morning as you think about being an effective witness of the gospel, that we don't need to be a deceptive salesman hiding the cost to follow Jesus until after maybe you get a decision. We don't need to trick people into coming to church. No, but as we seek to lead people to know and trust Jesus, we don't promise them that life will get easier or that God will bless them with a new job. But we promise what Jesus promises, that in this life you will have troubles, but to take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. And that whoever loses their life in this world for Jesus will gain it in the next. Finally, our last sub-point Effective witnesses of the gospel seek to please God by having the right judge. Three times in these verses in this passage, Paul identifies that God alone tests his heart and that God is an eyewitness to his conduct. Paul knows that God sees everything and that on the last day he will not stand before men, but he will stand before God and give an account for all the intentions and thoughts of his heart and all of his motives. So with that day in mind, he preaches not to please man, but to please God, who tests his heart. And I think one of the most difficult things uh, about being a faithful witness to the gospel is the guarantee that many people will hate what you have to say. I mean, the Bible tells us, right, that Jesus himself is a stone of stumbling. He's a rock of offense, and that the word of the cross is folly, that it's foolishness to those who are perishing. The gospel is offensive. Now, we don't share it offensively, but preached rightly, it will offend. Just think about it, right? The gospel, it calls people to repent of themselves, to turn from their natural desires, what their heart wants what their heart says towards God who calls them to be holy as he is holy. It's an exclusive message that proclaims that by no other name can anyone be saved other than through the name of Jesus. And if our goal is to, to please everyone around us, we will not preach the gospel faithfully or in a way that is pleasing to God or effective. We cannot please both God and man. If any of you have been paying attention to, to anything going on in, in the media, media, you know that our culture right now is living uh, in this cancel culture sort of way. Uh, a culture that cancels people for their past sins. A 
a culture that refuses to offer forgiveness and seeks to destroy anyone who sins against a particular tribe. So in this day and age, we'll have to ask ourselves, are we willing to be canceled by the world in order to be approved by God? Are we willing to be condemned in the court of public opinion today and wait patiently to be vindicated by God in heaven on the last day? Effective witnesses of the gospel seek to please God and not man. So we've seen so far that effective witnesses of the gospel, they're bold in God, they seek to please God, not man, and lastly, effective witnesses of the gospel love like God. They love like God. Look at verses 5 and 12 with me again. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witness, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted you, each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul right here is contrasting the continued accusations against him with an appeal to consider the love that he demonstrated while he was among them. Paul reminds them that he did not use flattery nor come to them with a pretext for greed, but rather he came to them in love and grew in this deep affection for them while he was with them. And he was not a, a traveling celebrity on the speaking circuit making a guest appearance just to collect a paycheck and to move on to the next city. But rather, he had a genuine love for this church. He did everything he could to model God's love for them, like a parent loves their children. And we first see Paul compare his pastoral love for his church with that of a gentle nursing mother. Now, if you would have asked me three and a half years ago what the meaning of this passage was, you know, before my kids were born, I think I would have a much shallower understanding than I do now. Nursing a baby is no joke. You know, I think we have a lot of nursing moms in our church right now, and it would be good for all of us to, to pray for them uh, right now. Uh, a nursing mother has to completely rearrange their lives in order to keep their children fed and healthy. You may think it's nice that it's free, but, it, but it's not free. A mother has to not only give up her sleep, her energy, but literally her own body to her child. A child who doesn't say thank you, 
who doesn't smile at you even for maybe months. It's painful, it's emotional, it's exhausting, and there are no vacation days. Yet through all these sacrifices, God's abiding love comes to life through their example. God has so uniquely designed a nursing mother with the unique capacity to mirror God's sacrificial love for us, that both men and women alike can see their example and seek to emulate it in their own relationships because they are reflecting an even greater love that God has for his children. Again, just to be clear, Paul is not affirming, Paul is, is affirming God's good design of gender and he's not claiming to be uh, a mother himself. God again, uniquely designs both men and women to reflect his character in distinctive ways. And these godly character traits uniquely seen in God's design of men and women are something we all can seek after because it's pleasing to God and reflects God of love. Paul cannot be a nursing mother, but he can seek to emulate God's character as it is seen uh, clearly within a nursing mother or a loving father. So Paul here, he emulates a unique, gentle, sacrificial love of a nursing mother because out of the overflow of his love for the Thessalonians, he is willing to rearrange and sacrifice his life for the good of his spiritual children. And we see Paul demonstrate this love by doing everything he can to not be a burden to any of them. Since Paul was an apostle, he could have made demands on the church to support his ministry financially. Yet in order to remove any stumbling block that may hinder the gospel message, he works night and day as a tent maker in order not to be a burden to this church that he loves so dearly. And just as a, just a brief aside, I am very grateful that this church supports me, supports the staff through your sacrificial giving. I know many pastors in this city who are, have to be bivocational, and it is, a, it is a hard road. But I just want to say thank you to you, church, for your sacrificial giving and your support for allowing uh, me and Tommy and Luke um, to serve you without burden. Uh, furthermore here though, Paul, again, he asks his readers to consider the way in which he shares his life with them. He did not keep this church at, at arm's length, but out of the deep love that he has for them, not only to share the gospel, but he wants to also to share his life with them. These, these newborn converts were so dear to Paul that he was compelled by love to open up himself to them for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of their relationship. And I think we know this to be true, right? When, when you truly love someone, you are compelled to risk sharing your life with them, even the most vulnerable parts. We are, we are still, I think, a, a very young church, and I think we've grown very fast, and I think it's made, you know, it hard for, for some of us to get to know everyone and to, and to begin to share life in the way that Paul is describing uh, here, and especially in the pandemic when we're unable to, to see each other as often. But my prayer is that over time that we would seek to share our lives with one another out of love for one another, 
that we have for each other in the gospel. That when we, that we would know each other so well that when we see somebody struggling or we can just see the demeanor on somebody's face, that we, we know that we, can, we need to press into that so that we can be attentive to their needs, just like uh, a mother is to her baby. Again, I've been so encouraged by so many of you that have not wasted these last few months, but have shared your worries, shared your struggles with, with myself and with one another. I'm especially encouraged by my own small group as I've seen how they have shared uh, their lives and as they have shared their lives uh, with uh, together, their love for one another has, has deepened. Uh, and I don't think that would have happened if they kept their guard up during this time. So as we consider what it means to be an effective witness of the gospel, we ought to be ready to pair our bold proclamation of the gospel with the same gentleness and sacrifice Paul has showed here. In order to share the gospel with our our neighbors, it's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some rearranging of our schedules. It's going to take some some planning to do. It, It often does not come naturally. But we trust that all our effort will be worth it as we see God at work, knowing that our efforts are pleasing to him. So we see here Paul is, is an effective witness of the gospel because he sacrificially loves them like a nursing mother and he shares his life um, with them. And secondly, we see in, in verses 10 and 12 that Paul combats the accusations of the false teachers by reminding them that they were witnesses to their blameless conduct and of his fatherly encouragement to walk in a manner worthy of God. Like a good father who loves his family through leading by example, both in actions and words, Paul paid close attention to his own manner of life so that his encouragements, so that his exhortations were received as love by his spiritual children. Paul knows that his exhortations to suffer for the sake of the gospel, to face ridicule in the name of Jesus, to deny their own natural desires would all fall on deaf ears if his own conduct was not above reproach. And just like children can, can sniff out pizza rolls baking in the oven from, from a mile away, our neighbors and our families will sniff out whether our devotion to God is a Sunday show or a weekly walk. And so, as we call others to follow Jesus and to trust in him, we need to keep close attention on how we walk so that we are not found saying, do as I say, not as I do. A testimony like that will render us ineffective and unworthy of the calling that we've received from God. Now, we will never be perfect representations of our our Heavenly Father on earth, and many of us will uh, have been hindered uh, by poor fatherly uh, examples, so it's more difficult to, to follow um, this example. But it's clear that the manner in which we walk has a direct effect on our witness before a watching world. Paul kept close watch on his conduct in hopes that others would imitate him and walk in a manner worthy of God, bringing God the glory. And this right here, church, is the crescendo of our text. Paul's boldness, 
his conduct, his whole manner of ministry was to please God so that others might walk in a manner worthy of God. His motivation was not for fame, not for wealth, not for the praise of man, not for a bigger church, bigger numbers, but, but so that others might give glory to God and partake in the glory of his coming kingdom. And church, the, the only way we can share in Paul's motivation here is to have the same passion, to have the same passion to see others come in faith is for us to be continually motivated by the gospel. We need to be continually amazed by what Jesus has done for us that we can help but share it with others. Effective witnesses of the gospel are those who never get over their own gospel transformation. Effective witnesses of, of the gospel are, are people who no longer carry the burden of sin on their backs for they know that Jesus has taken their sin and their shame. They are people who no longer view God as a tyrant, but as a loving father who loves to give good gifts to his children. They are people who no longer see God's commands as a burden, but as a delight. There are people who know that the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed on the last day. And they are people who are not ultimately waiting on this earth for their next raise or for the next relationship, but they are waiting for the day when they are finally freed from sinning and see their Savior face to face. So church, what, what motivates you today? It, does the gospel motivate you to share it with others? Church, if we are to be faithful witnesses in this Castleton community, we must be bold in God. We must want to please God rather than men, and we must love people like God has loved us, and we must renew ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved us, that has washed us clean. Jesus who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. And on that last day, may we be found faithful evangelists of this gospel. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would renew our hearts this morning in the beauty of that gospel. Would you make it alive to us again so that when we share it with boldness and with love in a way that is pleasing to you, that others might see it and give glory to you. Father, we know that we fall short in so many ways and that our words and our actions are often not worthy of you. So we ask this this morning that you would show us our sin, help us to repent so that our witness would be pure before those you came to save. And we ask that you would save many through the witness of the people in this church. We know that we can't change hearts, but you can. And we want to have a front row seat to see that gospel transformation. And so this morning, I, I boldly ask that someone from our neighborhood would hear the gospel maybe for the first time at one of our outdoor services and believe.
And Lord, that's all for, not for our glory, but for yours. And Lord, we long for the day when our faith is, is made sight and we gather again with all believers from every tribe, tongue, and nation and sing your praises. In Jesus' name we pray.